Today we conclude our series in the book of Jonah with chapter 4. We started out with a runaway prophet whom God had called to go to Nineveh, and he runs. He hops a boat for Tarshish, which is the opposite direction, but soon the Lord sends a storm, and he forces Jonah off the ship and into the water. And it's then that God appoints a great fish to come and rescue Jonah. And after three days in the belly, spits him out on the dry land, and he's back on his way. Jonah is recommissioned by God. He goes to Nineveh, and he walks the city. And he proclaims this message of judgment unless they repent. Which, surprisingly, as we saw last week, they do. They do repent. And the king repents. Amazing. So God says, All right, I'll relent. And he does not carry out the judgment that Jonah had preached. Hooray! What a great book, the end. They all lived happily ever after. We can just pray and go home. But the book doesn't end with chapter 3. It ends with Jonah, a prophet of Yahweh, angry and depressed. And he's depressed because God has shown mercy upon an entire city of people. Now, we don't want to miss the irony here, but we don't also want to miss the message. You see, chapter 4 exists because God knows that all of us have little Jonas that live in our bellies. Little Jonas that are within our hearts. And so God is going to engage with his prophet, who he loves, in a divine counseling session. And he's going to give him these little object lessons. And he's given them to Jonah and he's given them to all of us because he has to teach us something about compassion. In fact, if we wanted to summarize the entire book of Jonah, we could use that word, compassion. And the tagline would be, as we have seen, salvation belongs to the Lord. If we leave this little book without some sort of transformation in compassion, then we're no better than Jonah then we might might as well have stopped with chapter 3. Because God is going to use this to teach us something. As we've seen over the past weeks, time and time again, Jonah points forward. We don't want to be like Jonah. We want to be like Jesus. We want to have compassion like Jesus. That's our goal. That's our goal today. So I have four points for us. I went for alliteration over perfect accuracy, so forgive me for that. Our first point is the whale. Our second point is the weed. Our third point is the worm. And the fourth point is the wind. That's nicely how that works out. (laughs) Starting in uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Now when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. 
Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Jesus, this is a hard This is a hard teaching, and it's hard because we lack compassion. We are compassionate deficient, and we are not like you in so many ways, Lord, and we need to be like you. And so as we read this, Lord, would you give us tremendous amounts of grace that we might receive this with humble hearts and that we might ultimately come out looking more like you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. While he was checking his bags at the airport, a man became very upset. You know how this can be. You're slow, you're tired, you're trying to get to the plane. And he's yelling at the employee who's handling the bags. And for several minutes, he belittles the young man. He criticizes his every single move. Surprisingly, the employee sat there and just took it. He endured the man's verbal abuse over and over. After the angry man finally left him and entered the airport, the the woman behind him came up to the luggage handler and said, how do you put up with such injustice? The young man said, oh, that's easy. That guy's going to New York, but his bags are going to Brazil. (laughs) You see, we might call that passive-aggressive anger. Some would even go so far in our day and age to call that justice. That man deserved what he got, didn't he? Oh, that's karma, all right. He got what he had coming to him. But see, if we play that fictional comedic story out a little bit, now we see the man land in New York, and his bags are not there. And his already bad mood is now exasperated. He goes home and he rants and raves, and his his children, his wife, have to endure obscenities from him at home. The important papers, which he needed for work, were in that bag. And now he's in danger of losing his job. And so he calls the airport and that young man gets fired because of this mistake. You see, that's a cycle. That's a cycle that can go on and on. Anger is dangerous, isn't it? And our idea of justice, our idea of payback, our idea of vengeance is so short-sighted. Instead of having compassion for that man, the luggage handler repays evil for evil. Now that's a fictional story, but it's, it's true. It's true to life, isn't it? Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so compassion for us today is going to be the key. We have to stop that cycle of anger. We have to, we have to learn compassion for one another. We have to learn compassion for those who do deserve justice. Because like our Lord is going to do, he's going to give people mercy. Well, Jonah is angry. 
He's so angry, in fact, that the Hebrew, if you read it literally, it says, it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and it burned to him. (laughs) It burns Jonah. He looks at the city, and he sees God's mercy and compassion, and he says, evil. God, what you've done, that's wicked. And so it's here that we see the greatness of God's compassion compared with the greatness of Jonah's anger. Some here can probably run pretty fast, but if you go up against an Olympic runner, you're going to be left in the dust. And the same is true when we compare God's compassion with our own. When we're held up to the standard of Jesus, the way Jesus loves, we're playing in the little leagues and we're sitting the bench. You see, God stands ready to receive sinners. He loves sinners. You read the Old Testament time and time again, and you will see God relenting. You will see God forgiving horrible sinners. And you'll be surprised by it every single time. But Jonah didn't want mercy for Nineveh. He wanted justice. And so he looks at God and he accuses him of evil. I wanted fire and brimstone, Lord. The Assyrians were, were nasty people. We've, we've talked about that. The Assyrians were extremely wicked, vicious people. They left their mark on the entire ancient world. Lasting damage was done to people from the Assyrians. How could he forgive them? Why would God forgive them? Why do the wicked seemingly go unpunished in the world? So Jonah's angry just like many of us probably would have been angry as well. He's a man of passion rather than compassion. You see, he had all the right doctrine about God, but that doctrine didn't lead him into further holiness. And if your doctrine leads you into a realm of insensitivity and coldness without love, then it's having the opposite effect. We want zeal with knowledge. We want compassion with justice. We want to be like Christ. And so Jonah, in his anger, he at least does the right thing. What does he do? Well, he prays. He prays. He goes to God and he prays. And it's an angry prayer. It's like a huffy little child who doesn't get their way. He says, God, you know, if you could just give me the throne. If I could just sit on the throne for five minutes, I'll clean things up. I'll do a better job than you, God. Don't you know what's going on in the world? If we contrast this prayer with the prayer of faith from Jonah 2, which we were excited about, that prayer of faith from the belly of the fish, which was, which was aiming forward, looking forward in faith and hope, what a petty little prayer this is. And it's because, as I mentioned last week, when Jonah came out of the belly of the whale, it was not as a butterfly, it was as a moth. He had work still to be done, just like all of us have work still to be done. None of us are are perfectly sanctified individuals. And so what should have been a lasting transformation ends up as a temporary lesson. And so our first point is the whale, the fish, the great fish. Verse 2, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You see, the interesting thing is Jonah had it right all along. 
We, we can't accuse him of having a faulty understanding of Yahweh. It was his insight into the compassion of God that caused him to flee from him in the first place. He, he knew God, and so he expected that God was going to be merciful to the Ninevites. He didn't want that. And so the, really the question of the book of Jonah is, what is our God really like? And, and do we like the answer to that question? Do, do we like the answer? Jonah knew the answer, but he didn't like it. He didn't want to see that doctrine, all that knowledge that he had. He didn't want to see it play out. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Do you know that's the God we're worshiping today? And you see, that's wonderful news for us. It's wonderful news when it pertains to us, when it pertains to those we deem worthy of that grace. But to our enemies, to the Assyrians, no. No thanks. You see, we know God is sovereign, but that doesn't always sit well with us when we're faced with difficult situations in life. We've asked this question a thousand times. What does it mean that God is sovereign after a bad diagnosis? What does it mean for the people of Little Rock, Arkansas? What does it mean for us after Hurricane Michael? What does it mean to Nashville? We, like Jonah, have to face our God. We have to, we have to come to him in prayer. And we have to ask hard questions. Not be afraid to go to our Lord and ask hard questions. He is loving. Even when Jonah comes angry and like a little child, God is so patient and kind with him. And throughout our lives, we will do this again and again and again. Is God unjust? Will we accuse him of that like Jonah did? Do we, do we understand justice better than the God of all of the earth? Who sees past, present, and future? Who, who is the alone arbiter of justice, of pure, perfect justice? Is God compassionate? Do we believe that? Is he compassionate to just us or just to others? To our enemies? Jonah had accused God of lacking justice. He had accused God of evil. And we do the same thing. We, we blur these lines of creature and creator. And we need reality checks. And Jonah needed a reality check. Jonah had had that profound experience of God's love in the belly of the fish. But what we learn is that Jonah, the whole time, he's doing the Lord's will but he's doing it begrudgingly. And we again go back to the parable of the prodigal son. Jonah is the, 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 the brother in the field while the younger brother comes in and the father's rejoicing and he's sitting there going, I'm slaving over here. I'm slaving in the field and I knew you were going to have mercy for the brother. I knew it. And now you're feasting? I'm not going in the city. Jonah should have been down in the city with new converts having worship services. And instead, he's up on a hill waiting for them to die. He didn't understand the love of God. We don't understand the love of God. How, how, how deep, how wide the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And so we can be quick to go, oh, silly, silly Jonah. I would never act like that. You know that's not true. 
I know that's not true. How many times have you found yourself jealous of, of the blessings of others? How many times have we looked at what God has given us and we've secretly thought, this isn't enough. So we harbor anger in our hearts towards others, towards God. We don't understand the depths of his grace and his mercy and compassion and patience towards sinners. And we have to constantly be reminded of that. And so Jonah reacts. He reacts to what he knows is inevitable. The people, his people, the Israelites, it's been 150 years since they repented. And the people of Nineveh did it in a couple of days. What does that mean? Well, it's not good. It's not good for Israel. And if the Assyrians are going to come now as divine judgment upon God's people, he doesn't want to see it. And I can't blame him. I can't blame him. How many of us here want God to use a foreign power to judge us us as a nation? Would any of us want to live to see that day? Sure, we know America is in dire need of repentance. We see it every day. We turn on the news. We see it all the time. But aren't we the shining city on the hill? Aren't we God's chosen? Surely God would never punish us. We're the good guys. In light of all this, we have to go back again. We have to hear this again and again and again. Matthew 5, 43 through 45. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, that's called common grace. And the more I study my Bible, the more I'm forced painfully to hold myself up to the compassionate God like a measuring line. And I am compassionate deficient. When I close my hearts to compassion, I fail to reflect the heart of Christ. And so I have to read this again and again and again, and I have to challenge myself. God says in Ezekiel 33, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but you know who does have pleasure in the death of the wicked? Me. Too often. And if I'm being honest, I have little compassion for the bad guys. I want people to get theirs. I don't love the wicked. I don't want the wicked to turn from their ways and live like God does. I don't often love sinners, even though I am one. You see, I'm Jonah. I'm Jonah. And I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And I read the Bible and I know that's impossible on my own. I can, I can try. I can, I can try to pull myself up by my spiritual bootstraps. It won't work. And I need God's grace. I need him to swallow me in the belly of grace. And I need him to transform me. And so we need God to teach us even how to pray. We need God to teach us how to sing in the darkness of the world. Song about the light. We need him to teach us how to love our enemies, to give us hearts filled with compassion for the lost. I want them to turn and live like God wants them to turn and live. But I won't do that unless God changes me. 
And you see, the remarkable thing about God's word is that everything I just said makes zero sense to the ethics of the world. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Pray for those who wish you harm. Payback. We want justice. We want revenge. And we don't want it in the courts. We want it now. We want it our way, done our way, quickly. Verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? (laughs) Do you do well to be angry? First Pres, do you do well to be angry? I had a niece when she was very young. My little niece was in such a foul mood. And I remember looking at her and I said, What are you so angry about? And she looked at me and she said, I don't know, I'm just angry. And I totally related with that. (laughs) Well, what are you angry about? Who are you angry with? And then God says, do you do well to be angry? Again, hear the words of Jesus from the cross. He looks down on his accusers, the people crucifying him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. (laughs) If anyone in all of history had any right to be angry, certainly it was Jesus. If anyone did well to be angry, it would have been our Lord. Do you want to talk about justice? Look at the cross. Who wants to be nailed first? Who is willing to face justice first? You see, we want mercy. We really want mercy. We don't want justice because the cross is boundless grace for sinners who deserve punishment. Jesus takes our divine justice, what we deserved, and he paid us mercy. Do we do well to be angry when he does it for others? Next, we have the weed. Verse 5, Jonah went out to the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made himself a booth there and he sat under it in its shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah is so out of sync with God. He is sitting like a miserable little Eeyore in his booth and he's waiting for God to blow up a city. I'll sit here for 39 days and I'll pout until I get my way. I don't want us to miss the picture on this Palm Sunday of the one greater than Jonah, Jesus, our Lord, outside Jerusalem before he entered it. And he looks down upon a great city just as Jonah did, did not in anger, but in compassion. Matthew 20, 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Do you see? Do you see the difference? Jonah grieves that an unrepentant city Uh, that a repentant city would be saved. And Jesus grieves that an unrepentant city must be judged. Where are you on the scale this morning? Are you Jonah or are you Jesus? Well, Jonah waits and he watches in vain. And like so many ancient Near Eastern cities, the landscape there would have been hot. It would have been arid. It would have been dry. And so he built himself a little booth. 
The Hebrew word is sukkah, which is a booth. And if that word sounds familiar, it's because the Israelites have the entire feast of their tabernacles, the, the feast of Sukkot, in which they build booths. And the irony of that whole situation is that the festival symbolizes God's providence and covenant Lord love towards Israel. And so even now, in Jonah's anger, despite Jonah's anger, God is showing him care. He's wrapping his wings around Jonah. He's covering him in the shade of his love. He provides a miraculous, divine growth of a plant, a weed, a gourd, a castor oil plant. We don't know what it was, but it's shade and it's comfort for Jonah. And so he gives Jonah concrete evidence. He says, look at my love. Are you doubting my love for my people? Look, I'm making a miracle happen to give you shade. Even though God's going to show love to the Ninevites, I have not forgotten my covenant people, Israel. I'm placing my arm around Israel in Jonah. So Jonah, who was first exceedingly angry at God, is now exceedingly glad about a plant. St. Augustine called this disordered love. Sin, Augustine says, is ultimately a lack of love either for God or for your neighbor. He famously stated that the essence of sin is disordered love. And we see that's true in our own lives. We see it true in the lives of others. If you don't love God first, if he's not first on the order of love, all your other love is disordered. You will have love for a plant. And you will put your own life at risk to chain yourself to a tree so that it will not be cut down. I saw a billboard just this past week where it had a little baby seal on it. And the little seal is holding a little baby and it says, save the baby humans. You see, PETA would disagree with that. I love animals just as much as anyone else. But there's an order to my love. This is a war of passions. What we love most of all will be where we place the most value. But God has made it clear that human life is precious. It's precious because we are made in God's own image. And so Jonah loves a plant. He loves a plant, but he doesn't love an entire city of fellow image bearers. How will he react, do you think, when the plant is taken away? The one thing he loves most is now removed from him. Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. It's so interesting. God appoints four things. He appoints the whale, the weed, the worm, and the wind. And all of these things are meant for the correction of Jonah. They're meant to teach him something through adversity, through trial. He's trying to show a parable to Jonah. And oftentimes, a person's true character is revealed most in the midst of struggle. It's it's often how we react than how we act to something that's a better spiritual thermometer for us. Again, it's in the furnace that our metal is refined and tested. Robert Murray McShane said this. He said, The seeds of all sins are in my heart, and perhaps all the more dangerously that I do not see them. You see, that's the danger of sin. We don't see it. We're blind to it. Do you see Jonah anywhere in your heart? When God sends a worm to destroy the things you love most, how do you react? How ordered is your love today that 
That what's the thing that you couldn't stand to lose? That if you lost it, if the worm came from the Lord, if God appointed the worm, you would say, I'm done. Take me out. I'd rather die than live. You see, we need to let the limits of our mercy, our grace, our love, our forgiveness, and our compassion be measured by Jesus and not by Jonah. Instead of a dead vine, our Lord had the displeasure of a dead tree. And yet he suffers it willingly for the joy set before him for us, for sinners, because he has compassion for his people. Finally, we have the wind. Verse 8 and 9, when the sun arose... God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Spiritually, Jonah's back at square one. You can imagine him waking up. He rubs the sleep out of his eye. And he, he's sunburnt. Where's my plant? I just had my plant. I went to sleep with the plant. What's the heat about? Is God playing another game with me? Is this just another sick game? Where's my justice for the plant? That hot wind is called a Sirocco. It's a natural phenomenon. It happens all the time in the near ancient uh, east. And, and that Sirocco would come down from the mountains of Iran. And it would be known to the Israelites. 60 miles per hour. That hot wind would blow and be oppressive. And so the sun beats down upon poor, angry Jonah, and then God sends the Sirocco for a good measure. He wishes for death. Now, if you're not a Floridian, you may read that and go, how silly to wish for death, death over heat. If you've never been to Disney World in 95 plus degree heat with your children screaming, I too have wished for the end to come. <laughs> And so I don't want us to minimize the significance of Jonah's heat stroke. Because small calamities piled on one after another after another always seem like mountains when we're out of sync with the Lord. You see, God is calling plays. And the quarterback, Jonah, is doing his own thing. And so they're both, he's out of sync with God's will for his life. He doesn't want to transform his anger into love or his pity for plants into pity for people. He wants God to only show divine love to who he thinks is worthy of it. You know what that's called? That's legalism. That is the age-old sin of legalism. Just like the Pharisees, Jonah thought God's grace is dependent upon people's good actions. You see, you have to earn God's grace. You have to work for it. This is not a gift. Not a, it's a reward for a job well done. Well, that's a distortion of grace entirely. It's the, it's the thing that the Pharisees got wrong time and time again. Jonah wanted a God made in his image. A God with prejudices. A God with his sense of justice. His sense of morality. You see, those Ninevites should have to earn God's love just like Israel did for hundreds of years. Is that how Israel came about? Is that how any of us received salvation or forgiveness? Was it by works? It was unmerited grace. And that grace is a gift from God. You cannot earn it. 
It is freely bestowed. And so the word of the Lord comes to Jonah in grace a third time. Verses 10 through 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. You see, God says, do I not have a right to do with Nineveh as I please? Do I not have a right to do with Israel as I please? This is Paul's argument in Romans 9, 14, 16. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, Paul says. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Sounds like what he's saying is salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Who are you, O Jonah, to be angry about me showing compassion? Who made you judge and jury over creation? The Assyrians were wandering around aimlessly. They were ignorant of so much. They had twisted hearts. They had twisted minds. And they needed to be confronted with their sin. They needed to be shown the possibility of mercy and forgiveness. They needed the sign of Jonah. They needed Jonah to be a sign of deliverance to them. And the same is true today for millions of souls who need the gospel proclamation of Christ's victory. They need us to be the sign of Christ to them. We need to extend the possibility of mercy. We need to let them know they have a purpose. We need to let them know they are fearfully and wonderfully made. The God who so many hate sent his son to redeem them, to adopt them, to call them from out of darkness into light. The 120,000 who don't know their right hand from their left, could also be referring to children in the city. And if that's the case, that means there's 600 to 1 million people in Nineveh. What about the children, Jonah? Do they deserve to be destroyed as well? You see, can you not look upon the multitudes and have compassion? Can you move from plants to the cattle to people? In Matthew 9, 36, Jesus looks out upon the crowds. says he looks upon the multitude as sheep without a shepherd. And it tells us that our Lord had compassion upon them. What about you? Are you moved with compassion when you see the multitudes? When you watch the news and you see all those young people made in the image of God, So beautiful, so confused, and so angry. Are you moved with compassion for them? When you go downtown and you see homeless people, and they're milling about, many of them have mental illness, many of them are suffering from addictions, are you moved with compassion or anger towards them? You see, I'm not judging you. Because my first response is Jonah, not Jesus. And so I'm preaching to myself. I'm always preaching to myself because I need Jesus. It's so easy for us to pity the pitiable, but what about those who are not? 
This is what makes God's grace so amazing. It's what makes God's grace so profound and so wonderful. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he loves sinners. And I don't get that. I don't understand it. But it's amazing. And that amazing love is poured out towards us today. It should move us and compel us to have compassion and mercy on others. If God is concerned, how can we remain unconcerned? Jonah and Nahum are two interesting books. They're the only two books in the entire Bible that end on a question. You see, Jonah 4 ends with a question. Nahum ends with a question. Jonah ends with a question about compassion towards the Ninevites. And if you go home and read Nahum, it ends with a question about judgment upon the Ninevites. Both books are two signs, two sides of the same coin. This is the complexity of the human condition of sin. How does Jonah answer God's question? We don't know. We don't know. It's a weird way to end a book. It's a weird way to end it, but he ends it that way because the question remains for us to answer in our own lives. Should God not have pity? What about us? And so I end the way I started out this whole series. Friends, who will go to that great country of America and preach? The wickedness of it has come up before the Lord. Our younger brothers and sisters, they're lost. Who will go and seek them out? Who will cast their nets in order that we might catch men and women alive for Christ? God, give us grace to go. Give us love like Christ. Teach us along the way. Let's pray.